I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund town in san antonio texas in front of a crowd of 62,730, and make no mistake about it this was a home game for texas but washington with a big win over a ranked texas team and chris you were looking up some stats that's the is it the fourth win over a ranked team yes it's four it's the fourth win over a ranked team this year which makes them the only it's this is the only season in program history where they've beaten four four ranked teams in a season. Only like the 91 team only played three games. Obviously they won them all, but this is the first time it's happened with at least four. So, yeah. Yeah. And just post game I let Jackson Kirkland know about that and he started laughing. He was almost giddy. I'm going to go out and rub that in my dad's face. That's just kind of the way Jackson is wired, but the four ranked teams um are Michigan State, Oregon, Oregon State and Texas, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, just, um, you know, uh, this was the loudest game of any stadium I've been in this year. It was loud. It was, uh, 90, 90% Texas fans. I, uh, you know, UT is only about an hour up the road, but, uh, I don't know if you guys could tell on TV, but, uh, it was a good atmosphere for the bowl game. Some bowl games we go to when they're not well attended packed house tonight. And like I said, it was like a home game for Texas. Yeah, it, it definitely picked up when when there was when there were times when Washington uh, had the ball and it was a big down. You could definitely hear the crowd getting more into it and and uh, trying to throw Washington off. I think it might have done it every now and uh, maybe once or twice during the game, but uh, overall, you know, I don't think it played that large of a of a of a factor in in the game. And Washington was able to overcome it and. I mean, I, you know, most people were estimating about 46 to 50,000 Texas fans would be there. There's probably more. And what was it? Five to 8,000 Husky fans were expected. So good attendance tonight. Well, expected, but a lot of people just flat out couldn't get here. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. Just, just flat it's out. Too bad. Couldn't get here. But Scott, Scott, you know, you mentioned it where, um, it was definitely a home game for Texas. And then that non-pass interference call, I think it was on Romo Dunsey. I'm going, oh, boy, here we go. Oh, my gosh. Did they pull the refs out of the stands for that one? Jeez, well, two, Louise. I mean, that was right that was one of the most blatant holds I've ever seen. 
I mean, sometimes the guys will tug a jersey and you won't even see it on one side. But this you, you could see Romo Dunsey's body language because he, he got yanked back. And um, that would that might have been six. I think Chris said that in our our little group chat was that that could have been six if if without the pass interference. So is what it is. Washington was able to overcome it. They know they're going to have to overcome adversity, especially in a basically a home game for Texas on the road and everything like that. And they were able to do it. Hey, Chris, I, I can't remember. What was the other game this year? Was it Cal where they opened up with the long pass? Um. I, well, I remember Apple Cup second half, they threw the touchdown pass to McMillan on the very first play of the second half. Um, there might be a there might be a game where they did that. I, I guarantee you they didn't they didn't run a flea flicker on the first play of the game. That's for sure. Well, you know, talk a little bit about that when we I asked Michael after the game when he knew and he called the plane. He goes, yeah, he goes, we're going to run Frankenstein. And um, when um they, it's the first play of the game. It didn't result in any points, maybe field position, but um, it, Michael said that Grubb told him yesterday that they were going to run that. But talk a little bit, because I thought it was real interesting, not only that play, but them going deep so many times early in the game, it just really seemed to open up the underneath as well as the running game. Well, it may have, but, you know, if if you're going to say there's a silver lining to their taking their deep shots, that probably is what happened. But they outside of the very, very first play of the game, which, to be honest, was a lot more on Polk making a, an outstanding play than it was Penix making a great throw. Um, the rest of those deep shots, I don't know what was going on with Mike tonight, but he just didn't seem to be in sync. The one with Rome, I think, could have been a touchdown. Um, if it wasn't for the interference, it wasn't called. But really, other than that, there were seemed like Taj Davis. Taj Davis was streaking open for a touchdown early in that game. And and usually if Mike just puts a little bit of air under it and a little bit of touch, that's that's money in the bank. And he's he overthrew him by five yards. So I, I don't know what was I mean, I my pet theory just just watching the game and seeing what happened was that I think Pete Kwiatkowski, the obviously the old Washington defensive coordinator, but the current UT defensive coordinator, I think he threw a lot of stuff at Penix early and they, you know, they do, the, they do all that check with me type stuff with the sideline. I think that threw him off and the pressure, it, it didn't really get to Penix because they, they still didn't get any sacks guys. They still didn't have any tackles for losses. But they did affect him enough that I think they took him off his spot early, and that affected the deep game. But, Kim, you're right. In the end, I think the threat of taking the shot, even if they didn't connect, was enough to kind of maybe soften some things up, I think. You know, talking to Jackson Kirkland postgame, he said after that play, um, he started noticing some bickering over on the other sidelines where guys were really confused on what they had and a little bit of fighting themselves on the field. But, you know, Scott, you take a look at what uh, Texas did to Washington and they held Washington down. You got to give some credit to Pete Kwiatkowski on the other side of the ball. I thought he had a pretty good game plan. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he did what the other teams that have had success in keeping Washington under 30 points were able to do, and that was to not allow Washington to get the big shots. And when they did, they they tackled them, and they they didn't get a lot of 
a lot of open looks. I mean, it seemed, and the other thing that really seemed to be, it wasn't just the coverage in the secondary. I think it was pretty good in the secondary, but I think it was the fact that Michael Penix never seemed to get super comfortable in the, in the, in the pocket. I thought he was harassed a lot more. The, the commentators made some, some, uh, uh, you know, notes about that during the broadcast as well. But, um, you know, they were getting con- consistently into his face and making him move a little bit more than he likes to move. So, um, kudos to Texas. They, I thought they came in with a really good game plan and, and considering that they were without their number one tackler in their, on the defense there, uh, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but, uh, he, he had opted out. And so, you know, Washington really needed to take advantage of that, and they did because they were able to have one of their better running games on the season. Scott, I would I would add real quick, I think you could tell early on by the fact that they were calling some rollouts for Penix mm-hmm. that you could tell that they were either anticipating pressure from Texas or they just thought that they were going to have to counteract that somehow, some way, and they were going to have to maybe improvise or manufacture a little bit of extra time for Mike to get rid of the ball. So that was pretty clear early too, whether, whether they did it intentionally or whether Texas forced them into a little bit of that. Um, that was certainly a factor early on. And Chris, from where I'm down in the fields, it's hard to see what's going on in the trenches, but I thought my biggest concern going into the game was those two mammoth defensive tackles that they had on the interior line for Texas. But it seemed like, especially in the third quarter, Washington was just pushing them off the ball. What did you see from the Washington offensive line, specifically in the second half and uh, from the uh, Texas defensive line? Because I thought they were going to really be able to control Washington's running game. Well, I thought it definitely was a tale of two halves in the sense that Washington was really able to keep Texas off the field. I mean, they basically doubled the time of possession in the second half. And so all their drives, even when they weren't scoring, were extended drives, were double-digit plays. So they were able to run mix. Again, Ryan Grubb, I thought he called an excellent game. And and really, both him and DeBoer, they have the guts of a burglar going for it on some of those fourth downs and some of those key third and longs that they were able to convert. But I've never seen a team so comfortable and so in their element in third and long. It almost it almost feels like they'd be they're better off in third and long than in third and medium for some reason. But the run game I thought came up huge, especially no Cameron Davis. Again, Wayne Talapapa, as you guys mentioned, really, really good game. Uh, I know Penix was the the offensive MVP of the game, but I really thought that Wayne Talapapa deserved a nod on that one, too. I thought he had a phenomenal game, came up big and strong and had some great runs. Richard Newton had some really good runs, too. So I thought they were able to mix in, and I think because Washington threw the ball so much, I mean, they threw the ball, what, 54 times, something like that? They had, um, you know, they or 47, I don't know what it was, 55 times. Man, you know, I think that I think the whole defensive line was so pinning their ears back that they just did not give the run game of Washington enough credit. And I think they were able to make them pay a little bit at times. And Scott, when I talked earlier about running the flea flicker and those deep passes, opening things up for underneath, um, Michael uh, uh, broke down the run to Wayne Talapapa, and that was a run pass option. And he said that they, he could tell that they were kind of on their heels expecting the pass on that. And uh, he gave it to Are Wayne. Are you talking and, on the long t- touchdown run? It's 42-yard run. Yeah. 
I didn't get to see it, but he was laughing. He Michael sometimes starts giggling up there, and he was giggling about the stiff arm that uh, that Wayne put on a guy. Oh, I yeah. didn't see it. Yeah, he definitely put a stiff arm on a guy, and um, I've actually got a picture of it on our front page. <laughs> so, uh, no, it was it was a great run by Wayne Talapapa. He showed I, – I don't know about you guys, but I thought Wayne Talapapa showed more burst and more elusiveness than I've seen from him since he arrived. And um, I thought he looked really good. I think he, this is a great way for him to go out. He was my offensive player of the game. As good as Penix played, and he didn't play – poorly but he didn't quite meet the expectations i had of him uh wayne talapapa far exceeded what i expected out of him and that's why he got my offensive player of the game i would say yeah. too real quick just uh, real, real quick Scott, i think talapapa he had patience he was probably the most patient runner i've seen since gaskin he just he just sat behind some of the linemen and really found his moment to explode up the field when he found a crease and that helped him get a lot of yards after first contact. And I thought that was a, a big reason why he was so successful tonight. And I think the big reason he was successful is three weeks off, rest that body. So he had those fresh legs, fresh body. And just on a quick note, Cam Davis was not suited. And word is from people that, you know, we're talking to concussion, uh, suffered a couple of days ago. So he was unable to go. So uh, I'm sure that was tough for Cameron Davis not being able to go. It was a non-contact concussion thing where he just ran into somebody. So um, that was the story behind Cam Davis. And everybody else seemed to be suited except for the guys that, you know, had the surgery that we knew about. But like I said, I thought that that um, that that run just really seemed to open up the running game for Washington as the passing game softened it up for that, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. I think that that run really kind of set the tone for the rest of the game as, as far as Washington running the ball. But Texas didn't do that well. Now, one thing I'll say is when Washington tried to run outside, Texas was usually on that. But it, what's what's amazing is they have a 340 pound guy in the middle and a 300. I think he's 320 pounds, whatever he is, two big guys in the middle. And Washington was able to run better up the middle than they were to the sides, which I was a little surprised about. Yeah, and when we talk about the second half, I think the you know one of the keys to the game was Washington being able to go down and score, even though it was only a field goal. But you know, getting the ball back and being able to go down and score because Texas was going to get the ball back to begin the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're talking you're talking about the the field goal at the end of the first half. Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that was huge. And, and and to be honest with you, I think it was just the the cumulative effect of the drive itself. I know a lot of fans uh, on the boards at the time were kind of bemoaning the clock management and kind of wondering if maybe they wasted a play here or there through it. But they had two legitimate chances in the end zone, and I know it was a hot pass from Penix. I, I'm sure Penix felt he really had to to, to throw it in there hot. But Odunze, normally, if he can get his hands straight, he's going to catch that all day long for a touchdown. So it was a rough way to finish it in terms of just getting the field goal. But to get those points was huge because it culminated a drive that was 16 plays, that which, which was their longest in terms of number of plays, longest drive of the, of the game, 74 yards, and it ate up almost five minutes worth of clock. It, I was saying on the boards, guys, that was a drive that Steve Sarkeesian would have been proud of because what did Sark always say? He wanted the ball at the end of each half. He wanted to finish the halves with the ball in his hands so he could determine what was going on. So I, as soon as I saw the results of that drive, guys, I thought of Sark. Hey, Chris, I don't know if you saw this on the <clears throat> excuse me on the pod on the broadcast, 
but they they showed up a graphic that that was uh the last touchdown drive that was 10 plus plays um was the 25th 10 play or more scoring drive for Washington and that's the most of those kind of drives for a Pac-12 school since 2004 that's yeah. pretty impressive yeah no they they know how to they know how to control the ball and again it goes back to what i was saying about you know, living in third and long. And I think that really amazed a lot of people and it should have amazed a lot of Washington fans, but it sure felt like when they were in third and seven plus, it just never phased these guys. It's like, they just always felt like they could get it done. And it also uh, goes to the point where it's kind of more of a trend in football nowadays that those almost become two down situations now. Whereas in the past, when we were growing up third and seven, it would be like, well, if you don't convert, you're kicking. Well, now if you get to like fourth and two, it's almost weird if you don't go for it. And as we saw today, you know, both teams, um, you know, didn't really hesitate too much when there were some fourth and reasonable situations. And, and I think both of them had a reasonable amount of success. There was a, uh, a situation, in the, I think it was in the first half where it was fourth and uh, about a yard and um, Texas was in their own territory. And uh, the word on there, is Sark going to landing it? Is he going to landing it? And then he sent out the punt team. But that was pretty funny. But he just, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me in the stat sheet, and I'm kind of surprised, uh, Texas had 18 carries for 51 yards. Uh, even though they were missing their two top running back, their two backups, are st- those those guys are still pretty good, and they've got a really good offensive line. Is that really surprising that Washington's defense held them to 51 yards on the ground? Absolutely. Absolutely surprising. I I would have expected them not to rush for 200 yards. They were averaging 199.6 yards per game on the ground. Um, And so I would have said, okay, if Washington can hold them to half of that, they're doing pretty well. They held them to a quarter of that. And, you know, that's that's darn impressive no matter who is missing from the game. Yeah, Yeah. I'd add real quick, Kim. I just think that if Again, I know a lot of people are going to wring their hands about no Bijan Robinson, no Rashawn Johnson. Bottom line is, if those guys were available and would have played in this game, Texas's game plan offensively, in my opinion, would have been miles different than what we saw. What we saw was Sarkeesian saying, "Hey, I'm looking at I'm looking at these defensive backs for Washington. I'm not I'm seeing them play some pretty soft coverage, so I'm going to use my guy Worthy. I'm going to try to get him in space with some quick throws." I'm going to throw some quick throws to my tight ends because the leading the leading uh, receiver in terms of yards ended up being uh, Casey Kane, who I don't know how many people had ever heard of that guy before this game. And and part of it was because he caught the long Hail Mary-ish type play at the very last play of the game. But still, between him and, and uh, JT Sanders, they caught nine passes. Well, you know, I mean, if again, if B. John Robinson and Rashawn Johnson are playing in this game, they're probably, you know, Robinson's getting 20 carries in this game. But yeah. again, Keelan Robinson and Jonathan Brooks, Robinson averaged 3.4 yards a carry. Brooks only averaged three yards a carry. So no matter what you say, granted, Texas did not feature them at all. A lot. I thought they were going to feature them a lot more. But even so, Washington held them in check. And I think that was pretty impressive. Well, they also held Xavier Worthy, who's probably, you know, uh, arguably the most dynamic, 
take the top off the defense wide receiver in the country. They targeted him 14 times. He only has seven receptions for 84 yards. So if going into the game, would you give up, uh, you know, seven receptions for 84 yards to Xavier Worthy and call it a day? Well, yeah, as long as, you know, 14 targets is pretty crazy. But he had, what would you say, Scott, at least probably three pretty three. lethal drops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, that one long one on the sideline where Perryman ended up getting hurt, that would have been a tough catch. It w- he still should have caught it. But the the one that was down the middle of the field where he beat Cam Fabi Kulanen, there's no excuse for that. You that, was the, that, that was catch. the very, very next throw, wasn't it? If, I remember. Um, if it wasn't the next throw, yeah. it was very close to it. Yeah, what happened was Perryman went down, and I think he broke a bone in his hand, and he went out. And you knew that the minute Perryman went out that – Everybody, everybody on the sideline knew they were going to go after him, and he had Fabi Kulan in by five yards. I mean, yeah. And the ball wasn't overthrown; it went through his hands. Oh, it went right through his hands. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so he had a tough. If, I was also joking on the sidelines for those who've been to the basketball field. Uh, Xavier Worthy is not very big. Um, we were trying to determine in whose legs were bigger, Keon Manifields or Xavier Worthy's. And the fact that you can have that discussion says a lot. But, man, that guy's fast. I mean, you were just worried anytime he touched the ball, he's open to breaking it. And and one thing that – okay, so you guys remember the tackling issues at uh, Oregon um, and then at Washington State. They weren't, they weren't great either. But – for some reason tonight, I thought they tackled pretty well in space for the most part. Not, I mean, there were some some misses. Cam Bright had that one on the touchdown uh, catch uh, for does for it, jump. Does that is that cons- yeah. Scott? Is that considered a, a missed tackle when he didn't even touch him? Oh my gosh, yeah, it was bad. I mean, some of those were bad, but but I mean, I thought overall, I thought the defense came in. Um, they they brought their you know, they, they brought their physicality in this game, and I think it showed up because there weren't a lot of guys breaking tackles in this game. Come well, on. I'll be, looking, I'll be looking for the pro football focus grades, obviously, in the morning to see how they grade them. I think they're going to grade them pretty well from the tackling perspective. At least that's what I saw, too. I agree with you, Scott. The only thing that I would say is I think the DBs sometimes got caught in no man's land. They weren't close enough to the DBs to really stick on them, but they weren't far enough away where the guys were going to have to make a move. It's like they were trying to cheat up, and then they get caught a couple yards behind, and then all of a sudden their momentum would be taken them one way. All the other guy would have to do is just go the other way, and now all of a sudden a five-yard, you know, route turns into a 15, 20-yard route, and that that happened a few times. But other than that, when they were able to actually get their hands on them right away, they were going down, and I think that's a testament, especially coming into a bowl game where you haven't really played in in almost what a month. And and you just wonder if that aspect of the game is going to be harder to work yourself into. And I thought right from the jump, the team tackled very well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. 
Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, coming out of the second half uh, with Texas getting the ball and being able to uh, not allow them to score, I thought that was just such a key factor in the game. Uh, you know, Washington just played so well in the third quarter, but I think stopping them on that opening series was a key to the game. Yeah, you're talking about the opening series of the third quarter? Yeah. Yeah, well, in the third quarter, really was the difference in the game because Washington, even though the even though the score ended up being tied for just that quarter, Washington still outplayed them in in terms of total yards, 143 to 104, but they outpossessed them almost 11 minutes to four. I mean, so basically, outside of that first drive, Washington basically didn't give them the ball back, guys, and that's so huge. It's like you're basically playing keep away. And any time that they had, they couldn't get any momentum. And like I said, even when Washington wasn't necessarily scoring, they were going on these long, just time-sucking drives that would really sap the will out of most offenses that were trying to get back into the game, especially when it got to 27-10. It just seemed like uh, Wayne Talapapa and Richard Newton just had, you know, really good third quarters running tough, but then it just seemed like Washington's receivers just found the open space in the zone and they would just run, turn around. The ball was there first down. It just seemed like they were doing that the entire third quarter. Yeah, it definitely did. And, and, you know, I thought Richard, Richard Newton did a uh, pretty darn well uh, running the ball. I thought he ran really hard, which we've all kind of become accustomed to with him. But, um, I, I thought that he did about as well as you could expect for a guy who probably didn't find out he was starting until a couple of days ago. So, uh, or not starting, but, you know, being the primary backup. So, uh, thought he played pretty well, had a ki- couple key first down runs. One was on a, um, uh, what do you call it? That, uh, the wildcat that, or wild dog, whatever we call it, that they run. Uh, he had that, that key first down. He had a couple really nice runs and, and he did have that nice, uh, blitz pickup as well. So on a, on a, on a decent, decently long throw. So, um, you know, I thought overall the, the running backs played pretty darn well for the most part. Hey, Kim, real, real quick. I, I just want to make sure we were talking about the touchdown because Texas scored a touchdown on their first drive of the third quarter. You're, you're talking about the one after Washington responded. Right, right. Right. Okay. That's, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Yeah. And just also, I think that, you know, two more keys to the game. I think the play of the game was the, um, the fourth down where I think they lulled Texas to sleep on that fourth down where they thought they were just going to try and drop them offside and take the penalty. And, uh, you know, we talked to Jackson Kirkland and you'll have to listen to that, guys. It was pretty interesting because even the offensive line thought that that um, play was not going to be run. And then Michael activated the play and they found the soft spot in that uh, Texas defensive line. And Michael was able to get the first down to extend that drive where they went down and scored. Yeah, I think we were we were talking off the air about that, guys. And it felt very similar to either a play that they ran 
during the Kent State game, very, very early in that game, um, where it looked like they were trying to draw him offside and then eventually just kind of went really late in the in the uh, play clock. And then also it felt very similar to the play that Oregon ran against Washington, where it didn't look like Bo Nix was going to try to run anything. And then all of a sudden at the very last moment, he, he snaps the ball and they are able to get the first down. So, yeah, credit to Penix. That was during, if I remember correctly, that was during that uh, that first drive of the third quarter after Texas it, it, had scored yep. and they had gotten a little bit of momentum. And then all of a sudden it was that first series where it was third and three Penix passes to J Mac for a couple yards and it's fourth and fourth and one. And, and uh, Penix is able to get two yards on that. And then he was able to find Quentin Moore. He was able to find, um, you know, McMillan for a couple passes. And then that's when Richard Newton came in and got some some key runs. And then that's when um, Jack Westover, man, right down the middle, had that great play uh, where he tried to high hurdle the guy. <laughs> and then uh, and then Taj Davis caught the pass out in the flat for the touchdown. Where was it? Was it Odunze that had the key block on that? Whoever was blocking. Yes, it was. Just, it was Odunze. Had, yeah, he had a great, great block. Yeah, and then Scott, the other fourth down where it, uh, Washington sent out their punting team and Texas called timeout. And then uh, Washington sent their offense back on and got the first down. I thought that was a real key to the game as well. Oh, absolutely was. Great catch and then run by – because I don't think he had the first down uh, when Devin, by Devin Culp. I mean, he – I thought Devin Culp uh, continued to look really good, um, had, had, you know, some of his – issues that he that he does sometimes but man i thought he and and that just shows you how athletic he is because at six what is he six three six four 250 pounds whatever he is for him to catch the ball spin like he did and keep his feet we've seen guys more nimble than him trip themselves up on stuff like that and he didn't well what was really interesting about that is a lot of the time when they run that play they run it to the other side. Michael's left-handed. They run it to the left, but Michael was running to the right, so that's a more difficult throw. Yeah, it is definitely. Yep. And um, and, and by the way, I also like that uh, they ran it in the middle of the field instead of down to the goal line. Speaking of Devin Culp, they ran that uh, tight end screen again for a first down that I really liked. Yeah, yeah they, that they, was, that they had good. a couple really good middle screens that that seemed to really jumpstart some things, and um, you know, I think kind of kept. Texas a little more honest in terms of I think they were expecting more pressure on the outsides because of McMillan and Adunze and Taj Davis getting um, targeted as well. So for them to, to figure out a way with the tight ends and the running backs to get some things done in the middle, I think was important. Yeah, uh, just uh, some quick uh, stats that jump out on the stat sheet uh, again, or uh, Texas 28, excuse me, 18 carries for 51 yards, which is a real good job by the defense. Washington had 28 carries for 158. Um, Texas had 65 plays for 420 yards total offense. Washington had 445 yards total offense. Do you guys know how many plays they ran off the top of your head? I thought I saw 83. 83. They ran 83 plays. So that's got to that's up there, you know, for uh, for the season. When you take a look at the individual stats. Um, Wayne Talapapa, 14 carries for 108 yards. Richard Newton, 11 carries for 44 yards. Michael Penix, offensive player of the game, 32 of 54 with two touchdowns, uh, 287 yards. He did have that interception. And then Jalen McMillan, four targets, uh, 14 targets, eight receptions, 
58 yards with a touchdown. Romy Dunsey was targeted 11 times with five receptions for 87 yards. So, hey, Kim, did you see how many targets that Taj Davis had? <laughs> Taj Davis had 10. Yeah. <laughs> and four receptions. Yep. I mean, they just could not come up with their connection uh, tonight. Yeah, and when you take a look at the defense, and it's pretty much been like this all year. Um, under Jimmy Lake, it just seemed like the linebacker would always have, you know, 12, 14, 15 tackles, but it's been pretty much like this all year. The leading tackler tonight was uh, Braylon Trice with six and Michelle Powell with six, but the, the uh, Braylon Trice had two sacks as well tonight. Yeah, his second sack that he get, got credit for was the one on that final drive of the game for Texas. And to me, that was the one that absolutely sealed it. They needed the pressure, and it was like it was very similar, I thought, again, to the Oregon game where he was able to to take advantage on the final drive of the other team and, and really put them in such a big hole that they were never able to recover. Yeah, Washington 11 of 20 on third down, which is a really good number. Uh, they were two of three on fourth downs, but uh, the one that was just that was at the end of the game. And then uh, Texas was a six of 15. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that really, really jumped out. But uh, good game down here in San Antonio. Uh, it was a home game for Texas. But uh, uh, also just real quick, Reggie Williams at the games had a chance to talk to Reggie. He's still big. And then uh, Isaiah Stanback was on the field with his patented big, big, big smile and uh, met his young son. And his, his son's hair is longer than uh, Isaiah's, if you can believe that or not. Well, I'm glad he was able to make it to the game. Unfortunately, there were a lot of Washington fans that weren't able to because of travel difficulties. So I'm glad that some familiar faces were able to make it down there. I wanted to ask uh, Michael if he was going to go back to Seattle on the plane or drive back to Florida with his parents in the car. I didn't get the chance to answer, ask him that, though. So um, also had a chance to talk to Romo Dunsey, and uh, you know, I told him he could make our job a lot easier and take a lot of stress off if he wanted to tell us tonight if he was coming back, and he kind of laughed. He didn't tell us it uh, either way. Um, I asked Jackson Kirkland, if you had another year of eligibility, would you come back? And he said, yeah, in a heartbeat. He loves this place. But uh, Yeah, it also sounds like uh, Devin Culp and, and Richard Newton, even though I I personally didn't think there was any – thought of maybe they were thinking about maybe transferring, maybe going into the portal or something like that. But it sounds like they're telling people they're both coming back for 2023 as well. So, you know, all, you know, it just seems like the momentum is carrying this team into a, a monster season next year. And man, Roma Dunzi, it would be interesting if he decided to come back too. we'll see what happens. All right, let's wrap it up. It's a late night and uh, I got a plane to catch tomorrow. Scott Eklund, final thoughts. Final thoughts, man. Washington, th this game was huge for many reasons. Um, but I think the biggest one <clears throat> is because it sends them into the offseason uh, on a high note and gives them a ton of momentum heading into the offseason. Um, it's going to pay dividends on the recruiting trail for 2024, 2025 kids. Um, it's going to pay dividends from the standpoint that Washington's going to be in the national conversation all offseason long. Michael Penix puts them there, too, because of his status as uh, very likely one of the top Heisman guys, at least heading into the season. So uh, lots of reasons why they needed to get this win, not the least of which was the impact that it's going to have on this program heading forward. Great win. 
Um, now we kind of turn our, our vision toward 2023. The players can come back, uh, I think mid, well, they, they come back to start classes in early January, but mid January is when they start, uh, winter conditioning and, and that'll go all the way through through till spring ball. And then you guys know how that goes. So, uh, a lot of fun, uh, crazy season. And, uh, now we just look forward to 2023 and what, uh, what could be a pretty special season. Chris Fenders, wrap it up. Yeah, I think going into this season, I was thinking, maybe you guys can back me up on this, but I was thinking seven wins, maybe eight on the outside if they did make a bowl game. Um, I don't think anybody saw 11 wins coming. Fifth time in school history that's happened. And um, in the first year for Kalen DeBoer and his staff, uh, for people that want to know, DeBoer earned $75,000 as part of his bonus for winning the bowl game. The assistants, uh, I think, got $10,000 each. So hopefully they uh, buy themselves a nice Christmas present, nice holiday present. But Scott's right. I mean, the recruiting dividends, think think if you're Anthony James right now or if you're Diesel Gordon, man, you got to be crowing right now, you know, coming from the state of Texas, beating Texas in their own, in their, in basically in their own backyard. Uh, even a guy like Curly Reed who lives really close to there, you know, those guys can look at that and go, hey, you know, we're, we could be a, a part of something really, really, really special starting in 2023. But I think of a year ago, guys, think of where this team was a year ago, the uncertainty, you know, a new staff just starting out a first year coach that had never coached at the power five level before. Um, It's just an absolutely unbelievable turnaround. And I think it's one of the real success stories in all of college football this year. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I know Kalen DeBoer didn't get a lot of coach of the year nods and all that stuff, but he should have. You know, he was co-pac 12 coach of the year. That was awfully good. Jonathan Smith deserved that nod, too. But nationally, none of those guys got credit. And it's absolutely crazy to me. So the what those guys have done, I feel so happy for guys like Jackson Kirkland and, you know, Jeremiah Martin and Alex Cook and a lot of these seniors that stuck around and, and really uh, grinded with these guys and have put themselves in a position uh, where this program can be really really successful starting in 2023 so uh can't wait to see what the future holds i was giving courtney morgan the uh recruiting guy a hard time telling him he was going to have his title change he was no longer going to be head of recruiting he was just going to be the bouncer because i mean he's a big dude he just needs to stand at the door because everybody's going to want in after this win and he was kind of laughing because it makes my job a lot easier we can be a lot more selective that's for sure so a huge win um you know 11 wins 11 and 2 yeah, nobody saw that. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody saw that. Uh, wins over Washington State, wins over Oregon. A uh, little bit of a slip in the middle of the year because of injuries against Arizona State and UCLA. What could have been, but you say that all the time. But, uh, boy, the way this offense is playing right now, I don't think there's a team in the country that could stop them, not Georgia or Alabama. It'd be interesting to see them play that game. But, uh no, it's been a fantastic year. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, Coach DeBoer, um, just in dealing with him all year. So I, I, he came out of the locker room and, you know, me and Christian Cable were there. And most coaches don't do what he does. He just sat there and, you know, he, he just shot the crap with us for about five minutes. He's done that at practice. He just walks over and talks to you. He's as genuine guy as you'll ever want to meet. And what you see in the press conferences, that's 
what you get. Um, if you didn't know he was a football coach, I don't think you would think he's a football coach. I think you would think that maybe he's the general manager of the largest John Deere tractor in Montana, South Dakota, or whatever. But uh, Washington got themselves a good one in Kalen DeBoer. Hey, so. Kim, real quick, before before I let you guys go and we put a bow on this, um, I'm kind of curious where you guys think Washington's going to end up ranked at the end of this season. Well, a lot depends on what happens in front of them, but I could see them getting into the top 10. They're number 12 right now. So. Right. But do you, so you think you think 10th is, is pretty achievable? I, I find it hard to believe that a team that would go 11 and 2 would have a hard time cracking the top 10. Well, and right? especially one that plays a power five uh, schedule, too. Yeah. Yeah, they got four wins over top 25 teams and, you know, Michigan State being the fourth and they were ranked, you know, in the top 25 at the time they played them. But, you know, I'm thinking somewhere around nine, you know, so, uh, you know, Washington fans will go crazy if Oregon jumps them. But um, I just, you know, the way I mean, I hate to say this, we're around some of these guys and I just shake my head at some of them, but some of them will dismiss the win against Texas because they were shorthanded. And, uh, you know, dismiss Washington because they missed USC and they missed Utah. Will Utah be ranked ahead of Washington? Well, if they win, for well, they already are. So, yeah. um, you know, the question is, I, I don't think USC would be if, if Tulane beats them, for instance. If, if Penn State beats Utah, they won't be ahead of them. Yeah. Washington will be ahead of Utah. Yeah. So, there, yeah, Scott's right. There's a lot of moving parts still. But again, the idea of an 11 and two team, power five team, that should have ideally, if the divisions hadn't changed, would have played for the Pac-12 title game. You know how that team couldn't be in the top 10 by the end of the season. Boy, it kind of beggars. It's kind of it's staggering to think that that's a possibility. But who knows? 2 a.m. in San Antonio as we wrap up. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.